can make a change in my life. I let go and I let God. Let God have His way. Just let Him have His way. Some of us still think we're smart enough to handle every problem we got. Or we got resources enough to handle every problem we got. I got connections enough to handle it. I can fix it. But I came to tell you this morning that you're going to walk on a day. And walk into a space. When the solution to the problem you have is not within your grasp. May not even be within your understanding. Under those circumstances, you will have done yourself well if you practiced letting go. Yeah, it's going to be real hard if you've never practiced it before. Because you're going to be sitting in that hospital bed frustrated. Yeah, because they won't do what you tell them to do. And you're going to be sitting in that room upset 
let go. What that song, what the part of the song say, let go, let go. You need to start humming that to yourself at the house sometimes. Just, just walk around and hum it. It's hard to do, but you gotta practice it. I know, because I gotta practice it too. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you, not what I just read about, it's what I've had to experience. What a wonderful Sunday to come back to church after a high of Resurrection Day. Yeah, I would suggest to you that the Sunday post-resurrection becomes one of the more important Sundays of the year. Why is that, Andre? Well, it's because everybody can come in and get in the high of resurrection. All the pageantry and the celebration that goes on with it. But can I tell you, can we walk back to Jerusalem? The resurrection did bring a whole lot of excitement to the disciples. But there were other emotions as well. Yeah, there was a whole nother line of thought. And particularly the ones who were struggling at this point, Rick, were the disciples. Yeah, because on the highest day of their lives, after three years of walking around with Jesus Christ, after struggling, struggling, struggling to understand what had just happened on Friday, after not understanding how he could be crucified in the first place, and then being validated that they were, in fact, less than their best, less than their best on the highest day and at the greatest point of Jesus Christ's life. Although they were exhilarated by the resurrection, they were also dejected because their performance was not good. And so we come to this week afterward, after Jesus has been resurrected at the period of time, and there's a moral, I mean, there's a, there's a lesson that I want you to get out of what happened when Jesus came back. Because the Bible at its very basic level is a Bible, is a story of love. That's what it's about. It's about love. It's about love under every circumstance. Not only is it a story of love, it's a story of forgiveness and reclamation. At its very basic level, that's what it's about. I know there's a whole lot of battles and fights and all those things in there. There's a lot of blood in the Bible too. A lot of things that might be considered negative. But if you had to summarize what the Bible is all about in one word, it would be love. If you had to use a second word, it would be forgiveness. And Jesus exhibits that if you will, as soon as he steps out the tomb, he, experience, he, he exhibits love and forgiveness. And this part of the story is only found in the gospel according to St. Mark. Of all the gospels, there's this one passage of scripture that you'll find this. It's in Mark chapter 16, and it's found right there in the seventh verse, it's a you'll, you'll, you'll go past it quickly if you read it. If you're not paying attention, 
you'll miss what Jesus has done. Mark chapter 16. Can I set the scene for you? It's early in the morning. The women are nervous because the events of the past weekend have been so hard. They hurriedly took Jesus' body down from the cross. They enlisted the aid of some supporters. Nicodemus and others quickly bought a hundred pounds of spice. They hurriedly, hurriedly wrapped his body. They hurriedly prepared him for birth, for burial. And they took him to the borrowed tomb that Nicodemus owned. And they put him inside the borrowed tomb. And they sealed it. They were concerned. Because they didn't want the Roman soldiers to do anything else to their Lord and Savior. But also the Roman soldiers were concerned. And so the leadership of the church came to them and reminded them that he had promised that he would get up again. And so they put a guard on the tomb. Not only did they put a guard, they put a Roman seal, an official seal on the tomb, which means that anybody who would come and break that seal would suffer the penalty of death. This is the backdrop to the women getting up that morning and going to the tomb. And they arrive at the tomb and lo and behold, my God, what do they find? They find that the tomb is absolutely empty. It's empty. So on top of the fear they had in going, they find a complete and utter surprise. It's empty. I don't know what their conversation would have been. But right there sitting on a rock above them, they say it was a man who was clothed in all white. This man must have been an angel, one would think. But they find out in conversation that this man is far more than an angel. All right. But because of their anxiety, because of the emotion of the moment, they can't recognize who they're actually talking to. You ever seen somebody out of context and even though you spend a lot of time with them, you didn't recognize them. Every day you see them at work, they got on a uniform. But then you see them out in public and they got on something completely different. And even though you know that person real well, you say, I didn't see you. Well, that's how it was. I didn't recognize you. That's how it was that morning. This man they had been with for three years. And it wasn't until he opened his mouth and he started talking. And he said to them, according to Mark, only Mark. Well, the resurrection is accounted in all the Gospels, but there are two words that are only found in Mark. He says, go tell the disciples. And then Mark, in his writing, adds two important words. Mark writes, and Peter. And Peter, go tell the disciples. Can I break that down a little bit? 
The implication might be that because of how he acted after the, after the crucifixion, that Peter might not be considered a disciple anymore. Because he had distanced himself from the Lord. He had done some things that had crushed him spiritually, that had broken him down. And the Lord in his resurrected state knows this. And he says, go tell the disciples. And Peter. And so today I want to talk about Simon Peter. Just Simon Peter. Because Simon Peter teaches us some lessons about the essence of the resurrection that we all need to carry with us every day. The Bible is about love. The Bible is about forgiveness. And believe it or not, you just had the Bible's whole essence given to you in two words. And Peter. And Peter. John 21, verses 15 through 19. Go ahead and turn to that while we continue in this because it's going to be a backdrop. Jesus has sent the missive. The tweet is gone. Everybody meet us at the place. Everybody come on out. By the way, Peter, you come on too. John 21, verses 15 through 17. Jesus has reunited with the disciples. Music in the background. You can hear it softly. There's a party going on right here. Celebration. It's the last throughout the year. You can hear it. Everybody's excited. Everybody's bubbly. Peter is off guard. He doesn't know how to deal with this situation. Because the last interaction he had with Jesus Christ was at the most crucial point in Jesus' life. If I transport you back to the scene, this is where in the movie they do the flashback. And what you'll hear on the soundtrack is a cock crowing. And then they'll swing the camera around to Peter. And Peter stands there looking guilty. And he looks, according to Luke in his narrative, at Jesus Christ. And suddenly Peter is reminded that Jesus told him, you will deny me three times this night. And Peter is crushed because in his arrogance, he has said he would die before he would deny Jesus Christ. And he stands there and the one who's dying is Jesus being beaten and mistreated and Peter friend it doesn't even have enough courage to identify himself with Jesus see he acted like he didn't even know Jesus he had been with Jesus everywhere for three years they laughed together they they ate together. They were friends. They traveled together. And in an instant when trouble came about him, Peter denied even knowing him.
because it was tough. Because pressure was on. And so Peter is sitting there now this morning after the resurrection when Jesus has invited him back into the fold and this is the conversation that he has with them. He says, they had eaten. And John writes, and when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said to him, then feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. The third time he said unto him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then John does some editorializing in his writing. He says, how could he know that? He says, Peter was hurt. How could he know Peter was hurt except for the look on his face, the reaction of his body when he responded, he said, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, I'm sure he raised his voice a little bit. Lord, you know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verily, or very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and, when you were, uh, and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Commission. That's a commission. That's a commission. The whole dialogue is Jesus reinserting Peter into the good news narrative reinserting Peter into the project of saving lives watch this now when, when, when you were growing up do any of y'all ever remember using the, the statement I wish I could have a do-over yeah a do-over yeah yeah you playing with your friends and something happens you say no man let me do that over again that, let, me, let me do that over again. Yeah, usually it was during playtime that you use the term a do-over. I guarantee you that there have been some times in your life you wish you could have a do-over. You could do something different than you actually set about doing the first way. Like, like the man who loves his wife and children but finds himself under tremendous stress when he's on the job and in a moment of weakness, yeah, a moment of weakness, he, he takes some of the company's money to take care of some obligations he's got. And in that moment, he ruins not only his job and his reputation, but instead of making things better for his family, he makes it worse. I guarantee you that man wishes he could have a, a, a do-over. Yeah. The 16-year-old who's been on the phone texting. The little guy or girl they like, 
Each text gets more and more intimate. Each text, there's more and more affection. They start out simply using their own names, and by the end of the second month, they now have pet names for each other. Bay, my love, more and more intimate. I wish I could see you. Wish I could be with you. Meet me after school. I'm going to tell my mama. I'm going to the store with my friend. You tell your mama something like that too. And instead of going where they say they were going, they meet up. And because the emotions at that age are so high, because the feelings can be so strong, and because the judgment can be so awful, they end up spending a little more intimate time with one another than they should have. And things get way out of control, even though they thought they were in control. Yeah, they were out of control. A few months later, the rhythm of her biological clock is completely off. She realizes that something has happened and her world has changed. And he is as well. Because they have just started on the street to being a parent. And I guarantee you, if they could say it to you right now, they would want a do-over. A do-over. 30% of Americans will tell you flat out that they focus on things of the past that they can never change. This leads to most of the anxiety we feel in our community. Much of that anxiety comes from something every day that you dwell on that you will never, ever, under any circumstance, be able to alter or change. Yeah. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can say right now, get it over with, say I regret doing that. And you wish you could yell a do-over, but life don't always bring it. A do-over, yeah. We built do-overs into our sports. It's part of the game. Part of the game. Build a do-over into it. In golf, they call it a mulligan. Yeah. Amateur golfers start out the game buying mulligans. If you go to a golf tournament, let me go ahead and buy five mulligans. It's part. They raise money doing it. They know that people are going to be so awful in their game <laughs> that they're willing to buy five mulligans or whatever so that when they hit a bad shot, they can use a mulligan and that gives them the ability to do what? Hit it again, do it over. Yeah, basketball, we build it in. It's called a free throw. Built into the game. That's all a free throw really is. It's a penalty for blocking someone from making a valid shot, and because you blocked them or prevented them from making a valid shot, they get a, a do-over. It's called a free throw. Same thing happens in baseball. It's called a walk. Yeah, you could have gotten to the base if the pitcher had thrown the ball in the acceptable range 
then you would have had the opportunity to swing and hit it. But because he keeps violating the acceptable range rule, you end up getting a, a walk. All right? All that is is a, a duo. All right? Soccer. You get a free kick. Yeah. Same rule, same principle. And if we are honest with yourself, we can get off the playground and come into your ground right now. Because there are some adult situations, but you can create a list of past regrets. You could do something over too. Perhaps you would watch what you say. Yeah, oh, I wish I could do that over. Yeah, it's a funny thing about words. Once they come out, they are powerful. And they have consequences. And you cannot pull them back. Yeah, how about this? Anybody decide with five different friends? Yeah, you know the ones the folk told you, don't hang with them. And you're going to be grown. You're going to hang with them anyway until that moment in time when you're riding along with the friends they told you not to hang with and trouble gets in the car too. Yeah, and you wish at that point in time I could do this over. Yeah, how about not drinking? Yeah, not doing drugs. Let me tell you right now, there's something that's stalking our community right now. You don't get a do-over. You don't get another chance. You take it, and it's game over. Yeah, it's called fentanyl. And just a little bit of it will end your life. And so the age of recreational drug use that maybe some generations ago used to participate in becomes a dangerous pursuit now because those same drugs now are laced with this supposed get high drug and it's killing people left and right. There's no do-over from that. Wait until I get married. Be more honest. Some of us wish we could go back and finish school. Can I get a do-over? Some of us wish we could spend more time with the family, always taking for granted that there'll be a tomorrow and we'll get a chance to do it. And the truth of the matter is sometimes tomorrow doesn't come in relationships. But in the game of life, there's no do-over rule. And Jesus Christ brings it to our attention in this situation that he controls life. Because he controls life, he can also give you another chance. And for some, and somebody in here ought to say amen to that because you're sitting here fresh off another chance. I ain't even talking about no second chance. Yeah, I said another chance because you burned up second chance years ago. Yeah, we can't even start counting the chances that God has blessed you with. Yeah, it's been over and over and over again. How many times have you said, I ain't going to never do that no more, and you lost count of how many times you said, I ain't going to do that no more? God has blessed us. But watch this now. Based on the scripture that we see, what we find from, this, from Simon Peter and his interaction with Jesus Christ is that with Peter, he helps us understand that in a relationship with the Lord, a second chance is possible. 
a second chance as possible. Even though we may fail God miserably, even though we may uh, uh, fail God personally, yeah, even though we may fail God intentionally, a second chance is possible. Why, why do I say that? Because Peter intentionally failed the Lord. It doesn't matter that his motivation was fear of personal safety. These folk around here crucifying people. Yeah, what am I going to jump up and say I know Jesus for? They'll be crucifying me. There's already two other dudes on the cross with him. Why, why do I need to have myself put on the cross when all I got to say is I don't, I don't know him. I don't know him. Just, and, and now I want you to know this now. We're concentrating on Peter in this message because he is the one that Jesus particularly, con uh, specifically concentrated on in this, in this after-resurrection time. But all the disciples, almost to a person, not every one of them, John stayed true. He stood at the cross with him. But almost all the disciples flunked this lesson. They failed this lesson. We know that on one extreme, Judas is abjectly, is the one who absolutely flunked it. He was already playing for the other team. All right, when the, resurrect, when the uh, crucifixion story started. And so you got him across the whole spectrum from, from traitor on the side of, of, uh, of Judas until Simon Peter, who was arrogant enough to think that he had the ability in his own might to stand tall in the face of persecution. Jesus had been dropping hints on them. Trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. In a little while, I won't be with you anymore. He had been teaching them without actually saying, they're going to kill me. They're going to get rid of me and for no other reason because I want to bring the truth to them. But they hadn't been paying attention to them. They wanted revolution. They just didn't understand the kind of revolution that was coming. And so Peter helps us understand that a second chance is absolutely possible. Just before the hour of Judas's betrayal, Jesus told them all that they would leave him. Watch this. He said, then Jesus said to them, Mark 14 and 27, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, and then he quoted, he used a quote from Zechariah, said, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He was telling them over and over again that something is about to happen. And so they all fled Jesus, all ran away from him, trying to protect themselves. Listen, you can't be mad at somebody for trying to take care of themselves. You, you can't, honestly. It's, it's self-preservation is an instinct that we have. The only problem is don't stand up in front of the world and tell everybody you're down for me. And don't, don't stand up and boast and brag. And say what you will do and how, how you going to be. I'll be with you. I'm your ride or die, Jesus. It's me and you. And then when the, when the going gets going, you beat everybody out the door. You holding the door for everybody else to come out. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to make sure we understand. You can fail him like that. You can be the worst one to fail him. And you still have the opportunity for a second chance. That's the kind of Jesus we love and serve. He is that forgiving. Think about it now. 
as much as he prayed for the folk crucified, he was willing to forgive the ones who had him on the cross. The man nailing his hand to the cross, Jesus was praying for it. And surely if he'll pray for that man, he'll pray for Peter, who at the very least was nothing more than just scared. Yeah, yeah, the worst sin Peter committed was in thinking that he was in it all by himself. He had forgotten to use the very principles that Jesus Christ taught him to use. He didn't feel off to pray. He didn't ask the Lord to help him deal with the circumstance he found himself in. Instead, he used all his own power to deal with the situation. Can I go back to the song? He didn't let go and let God. He depended on Peter. And so, we see that in this passage of scripture that Mark records, Jesus has to bring Peter back into the fold. Y'all now, it'd be different if we weren't talking about somebody else. That's why I think the Bible is so careful in this instance to identify Peter as the one. You know, Peter is the biggest personality among the disciples. He's the loudest. Yeah, he's the one who speaks up whenever something's going on. John wants to be that person, which is why John identifies himself as the beloved disciple. Yeah, he's the one who claims that for himself. But if you look at the narrative, it's actually Peter. Peter is the one who is the leader of the bunch. Yeah, and if you go study through the scriptures, you'll see how Peter is identified when the Lord is first introduced to Peter. His name is Simon. He's brought, he's brought the Lord is brought to Simon by his brother. And Simon and Jesus hit it off so well that Jesus renames him. He gives him a nickname. And the nickname that he gives him is Peter. All right? But it means rock. In other words, this is, we're friends already. And throughout scripture, you can see the Lord bringing Peter along and helping him grow. Jesus tells Peter, stop fishing for fish and come be a fisher of men. This is Jesus' relationship with him. Peter is so close to Pe uh, Peter is so close to Jesus that he actually takes him on the most significant journeys of his ministry. It's on the mountain of transfiguration that Peter is allowed to go to this sacred spot uh, with Jesus. This is the Peter I'm talking about. This is the same Peter who is also privileged to be with Jesus Christ whenever he goes on any special journey. This Peter has grown so close to the Lord Jesus Christ that when they're all in a boat one night going across the water, everybody else in the boat is afraid and Peter looks out on the water and sees somebody walking and nobody else in the boat recognizes the fact that it's the Lord except Peter and Peter loves him so much that he steps out the boat onto the water. He has enough faith that if that's Jesus, I ought to be able to walk out there to him. Peter looks up out the haze of the water and he said, Lord, is that you? 
And Jesus loves him so much, he says, come. In other words, the water I'm walking on, you can walk on too. And for a split second, Peter has enough faith to step out on the water and walk on the water like Jesus Christ. But he forgot to let go. He forgot to let go. And he took his eyes off the prize. And this world pulled him down. Again, imagine if he had just kept his eyes on Jesus. Jesus, I mean, Peter would have been the second man in recorded history to walk across a whole lake. Instead, he goes down in history as the man who almost walked on water. But that's Peter. It's this Peter that Jesus comes back to and loves enough to know. Can you imagine that one of the first things on Jesus' mind when he comes out of death, when he comes out of the tomb, is getting his disciples and Peter back in line. The Lord got out the grave moniker with Peter on his mind. Can you imagine how much God must have loved this man? How much Jesus must have loved Peter to get up out of death with him on his mind. And he said, I've got to put you back in service. You're too valuable to what we have to do in kingdom building. To leave you on the sideline nursing your wounds. To leave you on the sideline guilty, convicted. For what you've done, you're too valuable. And so he pulls them aside. It's interesting, I love this fact. That for Peter, we learned that a second chance is possible. And then we see that Jesus Christ personally talks to him. Personally. The scripture that you find this in is only in one place. Nobody knows what's said. But in the narrative, Jesus takes Peter off from the other disciples. That morning. And has a conversation with him. And they talk about what needs to be done for kingdom building. I don't know what that conversation was. And I came to tell you today, you need to put yourself in a position for the Lord to take you off. And have a conversation with just you. You can't get all your instruction from the Lord in a congregational setting sitting around the fire with everybody else. Sometimes it's just you and the Lord in your prayer closet. And the Lord can deal with just you and your circumstance. And when you come out of that situation, it's not for you to start telling everybody, this is what me and the Lord talked about. Yeah, because you're not doing it so that everybody can clap and say you and the Lord are close. This is your personal commissioning that the Lord has given to you. And as long as you know the Lord gave it to you, there's nothing in heaven or hell that can stop you from doing what the Lord told you to do. When you know the Lord is on your side, when you know the Lord gave me this job, y'all can do whatever y'all want to do, but I know who's taking care of me. And that's why not only do we know a second chance is possible, we know how freeing a second chance can be. 
yeah, this Peter who had wept was now free of all the emotional restrictions that had come with what he said that day. He's been given a heavenly do-over from the master. and said, now, come on, let's get you back in the game. Scripture says when he denied him, it crushed him. And so Jesus came to pick this flower up and put the fragrance back in him so that he could go out and help other folk. The second chance brings the freedom that the crushing bad choices have made. You got to get past what you did on yesterday. The Bible has told us time and time again that Jesus loves us. Yeah, but it's not until you actually go through some sometimes that that actually comes to life for real. You start to really feel it. You know, you get this, yeah, I know Jesus loves me, but it's not real to you till you've been in something. And then Jesus can show you just how much he loves you. And sometimes, can I, can I get real, real with you? Sometimes this life crowds Jesus out of our lives. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We get so much stuff in our life that we don't need Jesus no more. Yeah, yeah, no. We're so surrounded by the blessings of our relationship that we forget that it's Jesus who made it possible in the first place. We still think us good enough to make all this happen. But it's been him behind the scenes making it happen all along. Can I tell you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You forget to say thank you, Lord. We forget to say thank you, Lord. When you swing your leg out the bed that he gave you. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you walk across the floor of the house that the Lord gave you, that he blessed you with. When you brush in the teeth that he gave you a dental plan to be able to get straightened out. You forget to say thank you, Lord, for the insurance and for access to a dentist who can do this for me. You know, on their own, your teeth would have been out your mouth a long time ago. But, but, but Jesus... And then you, you got the nerve to go sit at a table that he gave you, eat food that he blessed you with. Yeah, have an appetite. Yeah, yeah, some of y'all even got the audacity to have ship bring the food to you. You won't even go shop for it. Yeah, yeah, you go in the closet and put on the clothes that you can now fit in because he gave you money enough to get a gym membership that you can get in the car that he blessed you with and drive to somebody ought to hear me in here now that every time it's another blessing and yet you think it's your 401k or you think it's your retirement account or you think it's your job that's keeping you in this place the job you didn't apply for and don't have do. And complain about until payday. Yeah, I can't stand this job as you put in your card in another one of them machines to pull some money off of. But it ain't like it's new. We've been doing this all along. In fact, the Lord knew when he pulled them Israelites out of Egypt that they would have this mentality 
And even though we are not the physical descendants of them, we've picked up their spiritual bad habits in our relationship. We are the spiritual inheritance of the Israelites, and we picked up all the wrong stuff. Yeah, in fact, you go back to Deuteronomy, and he told us that the state of mind that they would develop would be damning to them. He said, you're going to be living in a land with large, flourishing cities that you didn't build. You're going to be living in houses filled with all kinds of good things that, that you did not provide. Wells you're drinking from, but you didn't dig them. You know, vineyards you're eating from and drinking from, but you didn't plant them. Olive gardens that you didn't plant. The Lord said, be careful lest you forget me in that day and start thinking that it's you who did all of this. Peter didn't come to this moment of rejecting Jesus alone because you and I really had need to be standing in line behind Peter. When the Lord finished whispering in Peter's eye, one of us should have stepped up right behind him and said, Lord, will you put me back in place too? Because I've been denying you all along. I haven't been giving you all your propers. We too have failed the Lord. So don't sit here on this morning with your sanctified finger and point the finger at Peter and tell Peter what he did wrong because every one of us is a Peter. We need the freedom that comes with a second chance. And it brings that to us. The last thing I need to tell you is this, and I'm out of here this morning. Peter found out that morning that not only is a second chance possible with the Lord, not only is it freeing from the Lord, he found out that morning that a second chance is empowering. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's empowering. Yeah, I don't know what you thought your job was for the Lord. I don't know what Peter imagined he would be doing for the Lord, but he had no idea that the Lord was going to send him on the kind of odyssey that he sent him on. And it all started right there with Peter. Look, watch this now. Sometimes the conversation don't even start out right. He said, Peter, do you love me? That, that doesn't sound like the beginning of a commission. And when you usually get commissioned, Mason, somebody walks in front of a high official like you and they raise their hand like this and you start giving them a charge and they say, I do. But that's not how Jesus Christ does it. Jesus said, because he said, if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, then you'll do the things that I want you to do. I don't care how much I love America and the things that America comes to, they don't treat me like the Lord. Yeah. And so the commissioning that I've had from the United States of America ain't really got nothing to do with love. It's got to do with obligation. Yeah. But Jesus asked Bobby, do you love me? Do you, do you love me? And Peter, Peter, you know, said, yeah, Lord. I love you. I love you. In fact, can I bring it down? He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Sitting around the other, he pointed to the other disciple. Do you love me? Have you elevated your affection for me 
more than your brothers sitting around here. This is what Jesus said. Yeah, that kind of that kind of brotherly love, you know, that philos love, brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Yeah. Do you love me more than these, these folk? And it was easy for him to say, Lord, you know I love you. Yeah, and I love you more than my brothers around here. And he said, well, if you do, then feed, feed my lambs. And then Jesus turned around again, and what you don't see in the King James Version or the NIV Version of the Scripture is that Jesus uses a different term. Yeah, and he says to him, well, Simon, son of John, let me take you back to where I know you from. Do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then he said, well, then take care of my folk. Take care of them. In other words, more than just love them, work for them. Do for them. Peter thinks that's the end of it, but Jesus ain't finished. He turned around one more time, and a third time, and he irritates John. He said, Simon, do you love me? And then Peter has the audacity to jump back in his old shoe. Popping off at the mouth, as President Obama would say. He said, man, you know everything. Man, you know everything. Since you know everything, you ought to know I love you. And Jesus said to him, without offense taken, that's important. Without offense taken, even though Peter intended to be offensive. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Peter got it. Peter got it. Peter understood that at this point, the Lord is putting him in a position to be a leader to feed his sheep. How do I know this? Because then the Lord doubles down on the commandment and says to him, you're going to be old and great before your work for me is done. I'm giving you the assurance right now that not only will you have a job to do for me, that you're going to be doing it for a long time. And so it doesn't matter what the problems might come to you. It doesn't matter what turmoil or how they try to harm you, you're going to live till a time when they have to put your clothes on for you because you're that old. And that, my friend, is the commissioning that's empowering. How do I know it's empowering? Because when they finished that meal that day, it says that a few days later, the disciples left and they went over into Jerusalem. And the Lord told them to go over there and wait for somebody. I'm going to send for you. And the Bible says... 50 days later on what we know of as the day of Pentecost that somebody showed up in the form of the Holy Spirit and said the Holy Spirit rained down on every one of those disciples and Peter started preaching now. This is the same Peter who last talked about Jesus publicly by cussing his name. But this Peter stood up and started preaching about Jesus. And the Bible says he preached so hard that day that 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord. You want to know about empowering?
hearing when the Lord tells you he's with you, you'll stand on the mountaintop and tell everybody about him. Peter wouldn't stop talking. Peter wouldn't shut up telling folk about Jesus. They threatened him and put him in jail time and time again. And he never stopped telling the, uh, the people about who Jesus was. Can I tell you how strong this commission it was? The Bible says that Peter was killed on the cross. And then when they came to him and said that that was going to be his manner of death, this Peter, who had cussed Jesus' name, told them, hang me upside down on the cross because I'm not even worthy of hanging in the same position that Jesus Christ hung in. Not only did they hang him upside down, somebody need to hear me when I say the commissioning took because Peter preached the whole time that he was on the cross dying for Jesus Christ. When Jesus tells you to talk, you can't shut up. Not even when they're killing you, you won't shut up. And I came to tell you that forgiveness is available to you today. All because of Peter. Somebody here today has been struck with some of life's issues. And today maybe you found out that this same Jesus who took care of Peter, brought him back in the fold, is available for you too. So I wonder right now, is today the day that you're going to give your life to him? It's today the day that you're ready to turn your life over to Jesus Christ. He will forgive you too. He will bless you too. He will take care of you. I'm empowered to invite you right now. Come on. Come to Jesus. Right now. Today is the day. Now is the time. This is the hour. 